You are Locked On Padres. Your daily San Diego Padres podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another edition of the Locked On Padres podcast, which is part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day for Tuesday, February 14th. As always, I'm your host with sometimes occasionally, but certainly not always the most, Javier Reyes. You can find me on Twitter over at Javapeno, J-A-V-I-I-P-E-N-O. Or if you don't like my my silly tweets, my sometimes not always baseball tweets, go check out at L-O underscore Padres. Great account over there. And then you can follow the YouTube, Lockdown Padres on YouTube. See Tatis, little bobblehead guy that I got. And to see whatever shirt I'm wearing, I am wearing a very funny shirt that is in reference to what show? Leave a comment in the description of the YouTube or DM me on Twitter and, I don't know, I'll give you a shout out. Something like that. I don't know if you want to do that. Again, I'm trying to, I'm trying to communicate with you, the listeners, and trying to do fun things. But enough of that side, ladies and gentlemen. Today, uh, we are talking about the Padres making, yet again, another move. Right? It feels like they've made a lot of moves this offseason. That's because they have. And this is a kind of underrated, under-the-radar Really important move, though, I think, from the San Diego Padres. Reportedly from Ken Rosenthal first over at The Athletic. Um, Michael Waka, right-handed pitcher, agreeing to a deal with the Padres pending a physical. Um, firstly, I will say, I don't know about you guys, but still 100%. I know I know, this is the most like casual, like silly thing, but every time I see pending physical now, I always think of, I'm going to always think of Carlos Correa. Like, I'm always going to think of that because we've never had... That's always like a formality when they say pending a physical, right? Um, so let's talk about this. First of all, the deal, uh, I have not seen the specifics on the deal um, in terms of the money, in terms of the years. There was one report that he was seeking three years for $30 million, which I thought was was pretty out there, uh, I, I did think. I think that Michael Waka is viewed as a back-of-the-rotation guy. I think we kind of know what he is at this point. Barring a Rich Hill or Charlie Morton-esque, you know, kind of second half of their career where they just figure it out all of a sudden very later on, I feel like we know what Michael Waka is. And what that is is a back-of-the-rotation starter. And that has a lot of value, especially for this Padres team. Because heading into the year, um, the Padres had a lot of um, questions, for sure. Um, But from Ken Rosenthal, he also tweeted, the Padres address long-term uncertainty in rotation, right, alluding to what I'm saying, since August 1st, five-year extension for Musgrove, six-year extension for Darvish, potentially three years for Martinez, and now agreement with Waka, who was seeking two years. Snell still eligible for agency at end of the season. So yes, that's kind of how I view this move. The Padres had a lot of questions regarding their starting rotation. And before we get into that, though, and kind of how in a lot of ways, I try not to overanalyze these back of the uh, rotation, back of the bullpen, bench batter type of moves. And I know that that might sound pretty ridiculous coming from someone who's supposed to cover the Padres every day. But I just, you know, I'm not as smart as uh, some of these other folks out there that really know how to break down some of the tertiary pieces on teams. But in terms of Michael Waka, I have been on the record saying I didn't necessarily think that this was a move the Padres should make. Um, I did not think that he's very effective. I think that he is the classic classic player who everyone just can't stop going back to. This is a guy who debuted at an early age and for the St. Louis Cardinals. And I know that those aren't necessarily statistic-based. I know that those aren't necessarily 
that's not analysis that's talking about his change up or his run differential and or run value I should say right but it's for me when I saw him debut in the league he starts out with a 1.2 F war with the Cardinals at the age of 21 and I think that because he debuted so early with the Cardinals who are an organization that really does know how to you know develop talent we see it all the time there's guys that pop up all the time in that organization and they know how to make deals and whatnot they know what they're doing and for him to debut um, with a 2.7 ERA his rookie year um, in just, granted, in only 15 games, it, it excited people. It excited people. Even in the strikeout percentage, he had a 9K per 9. Like, he, he was he was a pretty solid pitcher his first year. But then after that, he has another good year. And then after that, another good year. And then basically ever since 2015, he has been extremely underwhelming. And a lot of it has to do with health. This is a guy who can turn in okay quality starts and then all of a sudden when he gets on a roll he gets hurt right that's another issue with Michael Waka and in general this has never been a guy that's been um had great peripherals he's never had a guy this has never been a guy that's had like great expected numbers that suggests he's been getting unlucky in fact this past season 3.32 ERA with the Boston Red Sox his other stuff isn't great um his his FIP was a 4.14 and then his expected ERA was a 4.5 last year he had a 1.5 F4, which is fine, especially for a guy that the Padres are looking for to fill out the back of the rotation. But he didn't necessarily do too much that distinguished himself. Um, I will say, unlike a Nick Martinez or a Seth Lugo, he's definitely a starting pitcher, at least in the sense that he has a good repertoire of variety at the minimum, right? He throws a four-seam fastball 33% of the time, changeup 29.8%, his best pitch probably, cutter 17.2% of the time, sinker at 12.6, and curveball at 7.4. So he does have a good mixture of pitches. This is not the Chris Paddock situation, right, where everyone was wondering, oh my god, he has a great changeup, but his fastball gets hit all the time, and he doesn't really know how to throw the curveball yet. So that's kind of one plus about this, right? And it is something that should not be dismissed um, when talking about Michael Waka. But my problem is he just is not a strikeout guy. He does not get enough whiffs. He gets hit really hard. And again, I think he probably got a little bit lucky last season. That all being said, there's still some things to like about him. I alluded to his changeup, which last year, if I could pull up the statistics right now on that, I believe his changeup last year had a batting average of 170. There we go. 170, an expected batting average of 176. So that's... That's good. His changeup is excellent. Similar to Nick Martinez, another guy the Padres have that throws a bunch of different pitches, but isn't necessarily effective as a starter, um, despite that amount of that huge repertoire that he has in his holding. Um, but he's still able to at least throw that changeup really well, which is good. And I think that one thing about Waka that's going to be important, though, is do is is he going to be able to just give you innings? Right, You do not want to be in a situation where the Padres are relying on guys like Jay Groom, on guys like Julio Tehran, on Brett Honeywell, later on in the season, the dog days of the summer, and you're just going to be looking at yourself going, oh my god, I can't believe we're starting these guys, we're supposed to be a World Series contender. Uh, that's what happened two years ago, and it could very well happen again this year. It's not impossible, but I do think that this was the last arm that sort of made sense. I personally liked Corey Kluber a lot. I thought that Corey Kluber was someone that was just... Very similar to a lot of other guys. I thought he might be as valuable as an Evaldi type. Granted, the health was a concern there. That's also the same with Waka. So that's why I was a little bit high on Corey Kluber. And, of course, because you know me. I'm all about the vibes. I just want to have Corey Kluber back with the Padres. I thought that would have been a lot of fun. Um, But, yeah, 
to me, Michael Waka is one of those guys that because of his strong start with the Cardinals, that people have been forever chasing. They've been chasing that 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 really quality stuff that he was teased with. Again, age, debuting at age 21, you kind of expect a lot out of a guy, and especially with that first season. But the FIP um, and the lack of a really high strikeout percentage is what has kind of held him back. And the fact that this guy can absolutely get taken deep. I remember, well, let's see, in 2020, when he was with the Mets, he had a home run per nine of 2.3, which is absurd. And then last year, 1.27, year before that, 1.6. It just seems like this is a guy that's going to regress. Um, and usually betting on those guys to do well for you, not my biggest thing. I usually like trying to bet on a guy having a bounce back versus being able to maintain what he did this past season. Still very curious to see what the actual makeup of the deal is. But I don't hate it overall. I just think there might have been a few other better options. Maybe you could have traded for some. Um, I know Pablo Lopez was out there a lot. Do you trade Hassan Kim for him? I don't know. Maybe the Padres decided, you know what? Let's just have a whole crap of guys in those four and five spots that can take it instead of doing what they did last year, which was, you know, Mike Clevenger and Sean Manaya were like, oh man, they have, they're five deep. They're six deep, actually, if you count Mackenzie Gore. But that obviously didn't end up happening. And a big thing about this Waka signing that takes into account, you know, um, aside from his statistics and how he is as a player, the big thing with Michael Waka is how does he fit into this specific Padres rotation? We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about that, ladies and gentlemen. But, but first, 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 let me drink some water. I'm tired. Mm. Good stuff. The Dodgers fan tears have kept me hydrated for months, man, let me tell you. But, you know what will keep you at least... What's not hydrated, but what's what is it for food? Your stomach full? I don't know. Let's just say you, your appetite will be quenched. What's the word? I don't know what the word is for like food related things. I know. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, let's talk about built bars. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, it's a delicious treat and without all the fat and the calories. And as someone who has been working out more and has been trying to eat healthier, let me tell you, built bars are fantastic. We just got through the holidays, man. It's tough. You got you to start getting healthier. All the all the bad holidays that make you do some bad things. Super Bowl just passed. You know what I'm saying? Now is the time to, hopefully, if you'd like to, eat a little bit healthier. And what's great about Built Bars is they taste super good. They're covered in 100% chocolate, and they've got a wide variety of flavors like churro, peanut butter brownie, coconut almond, cherry barcia, and they drop little random ones every now and then out there, right? They've got they've got these mound type of ones. They're not mounds, I'm sorry. I was thinking of uh, Almond Joy for a second. They've got puffs. They've got all sorts of flavors and stuff, and they taste really good. And get this, only 130 calories and 4 grams of sugar with a whopping 17, 17 like Philip Rivers, grams of protein. And now you don't need to wait around to get a box. They've been taking orders online, but now you can get them at your local Walmart or Sam's Club. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Head there today, you can get the 13-bar box, the 4-bar box, or you can order online, you can do everything. If you want something that tastes super good, trust me, we've been talking about Built Bar for a long time, long-time sponsor of the show, and you want it to also be pretty healthy for you, satiate that sweet tooth of yours, Built Bar is the way to go. Friendly reminder, everybody, Lockdown Padres, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, free and available on all platforms. Make sure that you make us your first listen and make the Lockdown MLB show your first listen. Sully is a big baseball historian, so go check that out. Does a great job. Lockdown MLB prospects, same thing. Same thing. They got you covered here on the Lockdown Network, man. Let's keep talking. Let's keep talking about Michael Waka. Waka Waka. 
Yeah. Every time I hear Waka, there's three things I think of. I think of the Shakira song. I think of the character from Final Fantasy X. This is such a deep cut. Who throws the volleyball at people. And then I think of um, Pac-Man. You know, doing the Waka Waka thing. I actually went to a barcade this past weekend playing the four-player Pac-Man. Go check that out if you haven't. With a bunch of friends. It's a blast, guys. It's so, so, so much fun. Anyway. In terms of this Michael Waka signing, you can't view this one in just a vacuum, right? The Padres rotation is three very strong, like a, a three-headed Hydra at the top. I don't want to say Hydra in the sense that they're the best in the league and that there's no other rotation that can top them because I'm pretty sure Atlanta's got a good one. New York Mets have a good one. Actually, I actually think the Mets might have the best pitching in baseball. Um, but they do have three that you can at least be pretty confident about. That's Joe Musgrove, Hugh Darvish, and Blake Snell. But Blake Snell has had a lot of issues staying healthy. Um, and that's a really big piece of this pie. And when you look at projections, when you look at Zip's projections over at Fangraphs, they're projecting 3.4 F4 for Musgrove, 2.7 from Blake Snell, and 2.4 from Yu Darvish. I actually think that's a little bit low on some of those guys, but it doesn't matter. Bottom line is those are the three. Um, but with Blake Snell, the big problem with Snell is going to be, is he going to be able to be consistent throughout a whole season? And is he going to stay healthy? Um, I'm a little bit more concerned about the former point because he's had now two seasons with the Padres where he was absolutely dreadful in the first half and then figured it out at the end. So hopefully he can get back on things sooner rather than later. And we have to hope because early on in the season, you might see some struggles because of this with the Padres where it's like we can't win any games with Blake Snell pitching. And all of a sudden we only have two starters that we feel great about. But with Michael Waka being added to this um, picture... Guys like Jay Groom and Nick Martinez, Pedro Avila, Seth Lugo. What has been told to us is that Seth Lugo and Nick Martinez are the four and five, right? Nick Martinez has shown an exceptional, exceptional ability to perform well in the bullpen. And big game guy too. I love what he did in the postseason. I think that's a big part of why he got a contract from the Padres. Love his game faith. He's great. But as a starter, less than ideal. It's like a whole two-run difference. And Seth Lugo, he's never really been a starting pitching before, uh, pitcher before. He was kind of the lead, one of the faces of the analytical kind of high strikeout reliever movement. If that makes any sense. Um, and that's where he flourished. And now bringing him in as potentially a starter is good news for him. Because I imagine he would love to be a starter because he could make more money that way. Um, but... I do have questions about that. And I think that the big problem with the Padres rotation wasn't necessarily the guys. We could critique Darvish. We could critique Snell. In my opinion, you can't really, there's not much to critique about uh, Joe Musgrove. But you could say, hey, hoping that either Martinez or Lugo, like hoping for just one of those guys to be able to fill one of those starting spots was asking a lot. I thought that the Padres would still be okay because you have some other guys out there. Maybe you make a move at the deadline. Maybe the offense is going to be so rad that it doesn't matter. And more importantly, maybe the bullpen is going to be so good that it doesn't matter. But it was still a question. And I think Waka, all he has to do is be a one-more guy. He just has to be better than a Jay Groom, a Pedro Avila, a, dare I say, a what's-his-face, uh, blanking on him. It was really good for the Braves at one point. Julio Tehran. Right. Hopefully you don't get in that situation. Hopefully we only see a Julio Tehran or a Jay Groom or a Reese Near like once or twice this whole year. Right. That's kind of what you're hoping for. Brent Honeywell, the other one. Love his name, though. Shout out Brent Honeywell. Um, so that's the big thing with this. And that's really important. So part of me is almost like I almost couldn't care who the Padres got as their fourth starter. They just clearly showed 
we need to at least get a guy in there that's at least proven that he can be a starting pitcher, even if he's a little bit up and down, um, to say the least. At least we know he can be a starting pitcher. At least we know he knows we know he can give us innings. He's not going to go out there and wipe out the world. But at 30 years old, stranger things have happened. We got Ruben Niebla, the guy who turned Corey Kluber into a Cy Young winner. Danny Salazar, Carlos Carrasco, right? All those guys. Trevor Bauer once upon a time. I'm, we don't have to talk about him. That's really cool. So again, those are things to be brought up. We don't know for sure. As much as I talk about Michael Waka just being seemingly just a change-up guy who can wipe out some people, and then, unfortunately, it seems like people have been confused or at least uh, thrown off by him for years, and they keep remembering, oh man, at least for me, I remember drafting that guy in fantasy, paid 30 bucks for him because he was only 22, he's young, I'm going to have him as a keep for forever, or whatever it is, right? Like, I understand that, um, if that's if you're from that same uh, thought, um, school of thought as I that you have some concerns about Michael Waka. But I think that the big thing here is now all you have to hope is that a Lugo, a Nick Martinez, perhaps the Padres want to go six man. That's something that I don't know if they should do. Um, we'll see how that pans out depending on how some guys look in spring, how some guys look at just practice that we won't necessarily get to see what Padres think ship, what management thinks we'll see. Don't get me wrong. We'll have to see how that pans out. But I do like the idea of the fifth starter on this Padres team. Maybe it's a it's a little bit of a, a piggyback start. Maybe it's Martinez plus Lugo as that fifth spot. This signing opens up room for more possibilities and asking less from those other guys. That's the big important part here. Now, you don't have to look at my pinned tweet on the Lockdown Padres Twitter account, which is like, Adrian Morajon, we need the breakout season, man. And I think Adrian Morajon does have upside, but you don't necessarily want to bank on those things, especially when you're in a division with the Los Angeles Dodgers. And I know that that team did not have a huge offseason. I know. And I know that, yes, it is true at some point. We can't just blindly keep saying that they're going to turn Noah Syndergaard back into a high 90s pitcher, that they're going to fix everything, right? I know. But bottom line is you do need a lot to go right in order to beat the Dodgers. And for the Padres, my thing is, man, um, I'm just so much happier now that we know that we have a four, or at least we have the possibility of a good four. And yeah, we're not hoping as much for breakouts. That's the big thing here. I think that that would be the the kind of the tagline of today's episode. We're not hoping as much for breakouts because of this Michael Waka signing, where it's just kind of like a jumbled whatever at the fifth spot. And if someone breaks out in spring training and you feel good about him as your fifth starter, or maybe during the regular season, a Adrian Mornohon breaks out, great. Now Nick Martinez, he can go into the bullpen where he flourishes. And Seth Lugo can go into the bullpen where he flourishes. And then hopefully Drew Pomeranz comes back. That's the dream for the Padres, and that's how they're going to be. Not just good, but that's how they reach their potential, is if that fifth spot gets figured out, if they have enough depth to carry them for the season, which has been a problem before. Um, let's also keep in mind that last year, they did get a little bit fortunate with some guys. Darvish had a big bounce back year. Snell was phenomenal in the second half. And then Musgrove is as steady as they come, right? So, you know, you got to account for the fact that what if some guys regress or they get hurt? Not saying that will happen, but it's just nice to have depth every now and then. And I don't think that while the Hassan Kim and Trent Grisham or something, whatever the second piece was, for a Pablo Lopez was a trade that I think shouldn't have been dismissed. I thought that that absolutely was a move that theoretically, even if it didn't seem like it was all that close to happening uh, behind the scenes, that made sense. But I like that they keep Hassan Kim now. 
they're kind of, you know, the Padres have a great team. And and that's what's so exciting about them. This is so wild that we're at this time where we're not just hoping on random people to be great. Once upon a time, Hassan Kim is the best player on the Padres. Not to, no shots at Hassan Kim. Excellent player. I think he's very good. Um, I really do. And I think he has room to grow. But I'm just saying, like, once upon a time, that was the best player on the Padres or Jake Cronenworth. You know, very steady, solid players. Now we're all over the place, right? But before we continue, um, before we end this podcast and talk a little bit about the rest of the Padres rotation, just really quickly how I feel about um, how they're going to be going through the rest of the season. Guys, let me take a couple of seconds to talk to you about the legendary, the sensational, the exemplary FanDuel. Love FanDuel. The midway point of the NBA season is here, and now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sports book, because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Hey, there's all sorts of things going on right now. Who's going to win MVP? I don't know. I don't know. It seems like a, a Doncic thing. I don't know. Is the Kyrie thing going to work out? I'd be careful of that. Is it just going to be, could it be Embiid? Could it be a James Harden? Could it be a Giannis again? Or is it probably going to be Jokic? Hmm. It's probably going to be Jokic. They're the one seed, and you know how people are. So that's probably what's going to happen, guys. But seriously, go check out FanDuel. They could let you combine your bits with bigger payouts with a same-game parlay, um, all sorts of stuff. So don't miss the chance to get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go. FanDuel.com slash locked on. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner, not just locked on, but of the NBA. Ladies and gentlemen, let's start winding this down. We're in the final act right now. We're in the curtain call. You know what I mean? We're in the final moments, ladies and gentlemen. The, 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 the lights are dimming. The candles are being lit. Let's just talk really quickly about the rotation, essentially what I was talking about before. Um, yeah, it, it's the more I've talked about this and the more I've thought about it, I actually also recommend everybody go check out this thread from a very popular person, if you are on Padres Twitter, Giannis Antigatapoodle, <laughs> at Too Much Mortons on Twitter, who did a much smarter and better breakdown overall of um, what's-his-face, of uh, Michael Waka. Um, the biggest thing with him, as I was mentioning, is that Hasn't pitched all that much. Hasn't exceeded 130 innings pitched in a season since 2017. And he also isn't a big strikeout pitcher. He's posted above K percentage, above average strikeout percentage once in the last five years. He breaks it down. He goes through. He's got film. He's got everything. This isn't just what, a few weeks back, I complained about how I hate when people just put up the StatCast profile and then that's it. That's their research. That's their take with the little bubbles and whatnot. And then that's it. Um, but he breaks it down, I think, honest, to be quite honest with you, a lot better. Um... Does it look great for me that some random person on Twitter, not random, but someone on Twitter is doing better than me at analyzing baseball? Of course it does, but I don't care. Guess what? Surround yourself with smart pe smarter people than you. That's what you do. So go check that out um, at Too Much More Ends if you want a little bit deeper dive on Michael Waka. Again, I don't know fully how he's going to break down. We're going to see. I really want to see if he changes. Like maybe he throws this change up more this year. Maybe he shows the fastball less. I want to see if the Padres management with their pitching coaches change up anything that he's done. Cause also he is still 30, right? 30 is not too young. So maybe they can figure something out there. Um, but anyway, so be sure to go check that out guys. 
But in terms of the rest of the Padres rotation, I already talked about the projections. I think that Joe Musgrove's 3.4 is fine. And I know that some people might say that's too low or whatever. I think Musgrove is just going to be one of the steadiest pitchers in baseball. And I think you have to remember that while he is the man, and he is a gamer, as we saw in the postseason against the Mets, who got beat so bad that they had to contrive, literally, I'm not just making this up, they had to contrive a cheating scandal, practically, on Joe Musgrove in order to throw him off, which is just wild. 3.4 F4 is excellent. Um, and I think that that Musgrove might start out absolutely phenomenal this year, the same way he did last year. At one point last year, Joe Musgrove was straight up like the Cy Young winner. Now, granted, that was only like a month and a half, two months, but still, like he was excellent. And clearly he was, you know, he's pitching for a contract, so he was ready to go. But I just love everything about this guy. I don't, I just don't think that there's anything about him that I'm scared of. And I know that he doesn't throw particularly hard with the fastball, but the curve is just so lethal. The slider is lethal. You know, he isn't going to walk a ton of batters. I think that's a big thing with him, you know, so I'm not worried about Musgrove at all. With you, Darvish, if there's anyone who's going to age gracefully, as we talked about in the Friday episode, I think, Friday? In Friday's episode about the extension, if anyone's going to age gracefully, it's you, Darvish. But I am curious to see if, and the way, one thing that was interesting about you, Darvish, last year is his strikeout percentage actually kind of increased. He had more strikeouts as the season went on, um, which I thought was quite fascinating, to be honest with you, because I thought that... The first half was still really exemplary. But as the time went on, if I could pull it up right now really quickly, his K percentage went up as the season went along. First half, he had a 23% strikeout percentage. Second half, 28.8. And he actually got to a point in July when it was at 33.1%, which is excellent. So I think that he still is capable of being up there in strikeouts, as we know him for. it. That is what Yu Darvish is known for. He's going to get those crazy strikeouts. But the big thing for me is the walk rate. 5.1% in the first half, 4.5% in the second half. He got better as the season went along. Clearly, when this guy is healthy, he's going to find ways to figure it out. And I love that. I love that about him. And again, if there is someone to bet on aging gracefully, it is you, Darvish, a freak, super-duper freak, and great worth at the world. Man, I am speaking too fast sometimes. I need to slow down just a little bit. Great work ethic. Not concerned about you, Darvish. I actually think that it's possible to say that his 2.7 F4 projection is a little bit low, but I think that is taking into account his age and the fact that, um, what's it called? The fact that he there's still there's always injury risk with guys who are older. So I don't mind that as much. And then lastly, um, Blake Snell. Um, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I got the F4s mixed up. They have you, Darvish, for 2.4. They have Blake Snell for 2.7. I actually think those two should be switched. I do think that what we've seen out of Blake Snell over the past couple of years has been really encouraging. He's shown that when he's at his best, he's probably a more effective pitcher than you, Darvish. But bottom line is Darvish has had better overall seasons. You know what I'm saying? And I think that while he was excellent last year, let's be clear, 3.7 F4 for Blake Snell. Low-key, like, his second half was absolutely stupid. <laughs> Blake Snell, like, his second half was crazy. But I do want to be careful about expecting him to go back to that, right? And I think that as much as we always complain about the second half splits for players who calm down in the second half, I think we should look at, hey, the first half, did he just pitch over his head in the second half? There are questions with that and questions with his health, and I'm curious. But if there is something non-statistical to go for it, this is one of those things that the data doesn't really support all that much. Um, it, you know what I mean? It's not one of those things where we see routinely come true. 
But I think sometimes for guys who are pretty established, have a big name value to them, it sometimes can be true, is the pitching in a contract here with Blake Snell. He is currently not on the books for the Padres. I don't know whether or not they want to extend him. I think that the extension of Darvish, the signing of Waka, extension of Musgrove, you got Martinez. I think that suggests that they're ready to at least let him test the waters, per se. If that happens, that's okay. Because, again, if you believe in the contract uh, year thing, then Blake Snell should be awesome this year. But I do want to have caution that I am curious. Look, his and his walks can get up there. He is a guy that still can make you nervous. Um, maybe that's a result of the first half of 2021 and the, or I'm sorry, the first half of 2021 and 2022, and also the playoff performances get you a little bit scared sometimes. He does get at that point where if he doesn't make batters miss and chase and people are kind of honed in on his fastball and they know where it's going, it doesn't necessarily have the greatest break in the world. This is not Nestor Cortez, right, who can make the ball just seemingly jump like it's hopping out of the ground like a kangaroo, right? Blake Snell, sometimes the fastball leaves a little bit to be desired. Um, sometimes. And I think that that's a big part of this. The slider, the combination with the slider is what makes up for it. But I do think that Blake Snell, sometimes, in those big games, this is not even a, a, a regular season thing, but the big games, if you face patient lineups that don't swing at stuff, Blake Snell can can be a little bit of a, 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 a less than an ideal matchup. I don't want to say poor matchup. He is still an excellent pitcher. But when it comes to... Um, Teams that don't swing a lot, teams that just try and take walks and get on base. I'm thinking about the Giants. I'm thinking about the Mets. I'm thinking a little bit about the Braves. But teams that strike out a lot, even if they hit for power, Snell excels against those guys. Again, all of his strikeout stuff is great. Velo, extension, spin, whiff percentage in the 90th percentile, strikeout percentage in the 92nd percentile. He can be awesome. And I don't really care about his hard hit stuff. As far as I'm concerned, unless you're one of the five best pitchers in the league, Average exit velo, hard hit, that stuff, I, it just never freaks me out. Like, look, when you're throwing the type of pitches that Blake Snell throws, when the guys make contact, if they manage to, especially with his curveball, which is probably his weakest pitch, then yeah, they're going to take him deep. But it's fine, because most of the time, that fastball-slider combination is lethal. Um, and I am curious to see if he stays with the fastball-slider. We saw him go a little bit back and forth last year. And the year before, where when he succeeded, it was when he focused more on fastball slider. But when he started making it that he threw curveballs and changeups a little bit more, didn't always lead to success. Um, which is, again, guys, Blake Snell is excellent. Um, even still last year, uh, against his changeup, batters hit 211. Like, that was fine. And same thing with his curveball. It's just that we've seen before that sometimes those pitches are the ones that he will give up the big hit on. I think that's what is important for him. Uh, important to recognize, I should say. But uh, overall, man, Blake Snell's a beast. And I know that at the time, and I had I had literally said I thought that they lost the trade. I really did. Um, I thought that it was like enough is enough. This guy pitched his, his butt off in the World Series and for the Rays winning that Cy Young, and they sold high on him. But clearly, you know, a lot of people give the Padres crap for just trading or spending a whole lot of money on superstars. Hey, that deal for the Padres does not look nearly all that bad now. Um, and I'm still rooting for him, but um, Luis Patino has been really hurt and not necessarily a super-duper contributor for the Rays, right? So, And I, I didn't like that they also gave up Wilcox in that deal, just because I, I didn't understand why you needed to. 
But hey, everyone who wants to roast Preller in them, look, sometimes you do a little bit too much prospect hugging, and we might be looking at the Padres with the injured, always have some potential Luis Patino instead of Snell, which you kind of know what you're going to get, or at least you have the potential of knowing what you might get, if that makes any sense. So in general, though, guys, I think the Padres rotation is absolutely fine. I really do. I think that we're going to have to see how things shake out. There's going to be a lot of interesting guys for that five spot. That's that's what's really fun um, for this season. Similar to last year, how we were wondering, all right, is Mackenzie Gore going to be the five starter? And he ended up being the five starter, and he was excellent. Um, but I want to see if the Padres can have someone who contributes not just for the first half, like Blake Snell did, but for the full season, or at least find guys to contribute on both sides, right? Different one for the first half, different one for the second half. I don't know, but I want to see how that all shakes up. Really excited for Adrian Monahone. I think this feels like his last chance to really prove to us that he's got a lot of talent. I think he does, and I think he can show it. We'll have to see how that goes. Hopefully, we don't see too much of the well-known guys. You know what I mean? Hopefully, no Jay Groom or especially a Tehran or a Brent Honeywell, right? We don't necessarily want to see those guys as much just because the book might be out on them just a little bit. But yeah, ladies and gentlemen, that about does it for today's edition of Lockdown Padres Podcast, the only pod that may be better than the Padres themselves. Remember to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. Remember to follow me on Twitter at Javapeno or at LO underscore Padres or Lockdown Padres on the old YouTube. On tomorrow's podcast, we're going to be talking about Padres offseason. Assuming they don't make any other moves, which I think we're about ready to say they won't, did they do enough this offseason as a whole? Going to talk about every single deal that they made, or at least basically every deal they made. All right, we'll talk about Adam Engel too, don't get me wrong, but we're going to spend a lot of time on the bigger picture guys and whether or not it's enough for them to win. Can they match up with the Dodgers? Can they match up with other teams in the National League? That's the question to be asked. Then we've got some fun crossovers like the roast of Eric Hosmer 2.0. Going to be talking with Ben Kaspik of Locked On Giants about, you know, the very different off seasons that the Giants and Padres had. And of course, even the Snide Dog over at Locked On Dodgers. There's a lot of plans, ladies and gentlemen. A lot of plans. So keep it here at Locked On Padres. And with that all being said, stay safe and of course, stay faithful. My Friar Faithful homies, take care. Come on, come on.